0: seem a little more loopy today than others, it may be because I am. (laughs) I'm battling this shoulder and I've kind of medicated myself, all right? So I'm not crazy, I'm just happy right at the moment (laughs) because my shoulder's not hurting so badly. I need to make an announcement Uh, after immediately following the service this morning, we are going to have a tri-tip dinner with all the fixings and it's going to be back there in Delaney Hall, uh, in honor of the fathers. I need to say, fathers, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. The message this morning is gonna be directed at you, but it's gonna be directed at both mom and dad this morning. So take your Bibles, if you will, and open to the book of Deuteronomy. Book of Deuteronomy. Before I forget, (coughs) let me embarrass him, Brother Lynn, Brother Lynn is moving to Oklahoma, God's country, and this will be his last Sunday with us, going back kind of where our family's at, so be sure that before he leaves out of here, he's going to go back here and we're going to all eat together, but sure, let Brother Lynn know that you love him, you thank him for being here and being a member of this church, and, uh, you know, God fitly joined him into this body, and we're so thankful for that, we're praying that God continues to direct your life, and, uh, we're just excited for you, but we hate like everything that you have to go, but we certainly understand. But at anyway, book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. <clears throat> we'll begin in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlet between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. This morning I want to preach a message to fathers. It's your responsibility. It is your responsibility. We need to take seriously the responsibility that God has given us, especially as fathers. I want to bow our heads in a word of prayer. As I pray, you pray. And ask God to do work in your heart and life. God would meet with you this morning if you but let him. If you but open your heart to him and say, God, meet with me. Oh, you say, but I'm saved. All the more reason you need to meet with God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you'd have your special way this morning. God, I pray that you would do a work in our lives. God, I pray that you would keep all distractions away from us. Father, I'd ask that we'd be able to uh, just put aside for a few moments those problems, those things that are going in our lives, that's what's causing us trouble. And God, may we just focus our attention on you. God, meet with us today. We need you to meet with us. We need your blessing. We need your direction. We need your encouragement. God, have your will and the way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Fathers, it's your responsibility. I'm going to try to stay as close to my notes as possible. I've got a lot of notes today, so I'm going to speak quickly, which is not often a good thing for me to try to do, but stay with me. The mission and purpose of God's people, the church, is clearly given by Jesus Christ. Remember, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where he said, Go ye therefore and Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Of these commands that were given, the primary command is making disciples. Making disciples. We go into the world for the purpose of making disciples. We baptize believers into the church in order to make disciples. We teach one another every commandment of Jesus so that disciples are made. Making disciples of Jesus therefore must be at the heart of everything that we do in this church. The book of Acts gives us further insight to this and how the New Testament church sought to make disciples. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42 it said, and they continued steadfastly in what? The Apostles doctrine. We've been studying that. And fellowship. We're going to have a little fellowship here after this service this morning. We're having fellowship now. And in breaking of bread and in prayer. They devoted themselves to the scriptures, to prayer, to the community. If as a child of God this morning your lives are molded by these values, then you cannot, you cannot help but obey the Great Commission. This morning's text, we're going to take a look at this. See how that a life that is saturated by the Word of God is essential in obeying the Great Commission. Deuteronomy, anybody know what Deuteronomy means? Deuteronomy means? Literally means second law, second law, which is fitting because it's composed of the final servants of Moses. He's getting ready to die. Getting ready. Alice always hates this part of the Scripture where we come up where Moses is getting ready to die. Can I go in? No, you can't go into the land. You can't go into the land, He's told. But these promises were given by God to Moses some 40 years earlier. And then so in the 6th chapter, now we come to the 6th chapter and we find our text, which is one of the most important portions of Scripture. It really is. What it says here, it starts off in verse 4, it says here. That's Shema in Jewish. Shema. Which means here. But it has further meaning, actually. It means not only hear, but do. Not only here, but do. These verses essentially are the doctrinal thesis, if you will, for Jewish religion. It's their central belief. Uh, we were studying in the book of Acts here just recently in chapter 13 and verse 15. And remember <clears throat> Barnabas and Paul had come into the synagogue. And it was the next verse is where in 16 it says, if you have anything to say, guys, uh, go ahead and speak on. And so they get up. Paul gets up and he starts into his message to them. But they would have quoted this Shema, these verses. They would have quoted these verses. They'll quote these verses at the beginning of a service, at the end of a service. Many Jews, as they were dying, would quote these verses, these very verses. These are so important, so important. And Jesus affirmed their importance when in in verse 5 it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Uh, When Jesus said that this is the greatest of the commandments. So verse 4 verse 4 is the doctrine. Here Here. The announcement is Here. This morning Here. Every one of us Hear this morning. You have to listen on purpose. You have to listen on purpose. You know, how many times have you met somebody, you shake their hand and, hi, I'm Don, you are, and I turn around and I go, what is their name? Well, I can remember them saying it, Ricky, but I didn't hear it. I mean, and that's the way we are. We can hear the noise, the rumbling, but we don't hear. God wants us to hear this morning. First, by being commanded to hear, we must conclude what? There's something worth hearing. If my parents ever sat us down, looked us in the eye, and said, I want you to listen to me, you know what I did? I listened to what they were going to say, because there was something important coming. Because if I didn't get the instruction and direction, there might be a problem on the other end, right? I wanted to make sure I was going to get it. Child of God this morning, I mean, the Bible says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Romans 15, 4. I'm surprised I was able to get through that without stumbling on <laughs> That's pretty good. Praise the Lord. But at any rate, so whatever is written before is for us. It's for us. So we need to pay attention to it. Something's going to be communicated. We'd be wise to give our attention to it. Second, we must remember who is commanding us to hear. It's Moses. Who's Moses? He's the prophet of God, the prophet of God, the vessel through whom God provided his holy law, remembered on the mountain. Moses was a dominating figure within the Old Testament, and Jesus was prophesied to be like him later on in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. Thirdly, because Moses is speaking the words given to him by God, we know that God not only communicates to us, but actively entices us to listen. Listen to what I'm saying. God's speaking to us this morning. Listen to what I'm saying. Father, I say, I'm directing this to you, but this is good for all of us. We need to listen to God's Word. And fourth, God speaks His command to Israel, His people. <clears throat> God's people should, of course, then listen to their God. If you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, if you call Him your Heavenly Father because he, you received that free gift of salvation this morning, we need to listen. So then this begs us the question this morning. Are you listening? Well, sure I'm listening. I'm sitting here in the audience. I'm looking at you and I'm listening. Are you hearing? Are you hearing? You know, the reality of life is that we are constantly hearing messages. People and devices are constantly, what, vying for our attention. And we are largely influenced by the voices that we hear, whether we want to admit it or not. Sometimes you hear something, you'll hear it over and over and over and initially you think that's not true, that has no truth in it, but as you listen to it, sometimes it, you begin to believe it. And things are vying for our attention. God knew this, so He stepped forward and He said, here. Here. Well, why should we listen? Because He's God. He's God. We need to start getting a real clear glimpse and an understanding of who our Savior who God is I think sometimes we have kind of a flippant view of who God is oh he can be your best friend he we can call him Papa the book of Romans chapter 8 talks about calling Him Abba father gives the, the notion and the thought that you can kind of just almost climb up in his lap grab him by the beard and say Papa but he's Almighty God Almighty God and he wants us to hear what he's saying Two names are given here for the creator of everything, the Lord and God. The Lord in Hebrew is God's holy name and his personal name while God is his divine title. <clears throat> you know, just a side note here. God does not treat us as like a pet or property. Yeah, that's mine. That's he doesn't treat us like that, although he could. But he tied himself onto us He did this by His Son, Jesus Christ, when He came to earth, was born of a virgin, became a human, as we are human, as we are human. Verse 5, the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment. It says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. A lot to say this morning, and I want you just to try to, as best you can, hang on and And try to hear, I think, what is being said. Every commandment is contained in this one commandment. Every commandment is contained in this commandment. Even the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. It will be accomplished. How? If we love God as we are supposed to. How am I supposed to love God? With all thine heart with all thy soul and with all thy might. If we can learn to do that, everything else will fall into place. It really will. It really will. Those people that you have trouble with, you have battles with, it seems, and uh, just to be warring with, that goes away. That goes away. Why? Because you're so focused on God, loving Him, loving Him. There's some principles of obedience First, we must love God with all our heart. In Hebrew, this refers not only to feelings and emotions, as we think of the heart today, but also to the mind alongside its thoughts, its desires, and will. When Jesus added mind to that list in the New Testament, he was not adding a new concept. He was simply making the idea a little bit more clearly understood. Second, we must love God with all our soul. Again, the Hebrews' conception of soul differentiates from what is common today. We, we tend to imagine our soul as a conscience, our conscience or our consciousness, while the Hebrews conceived the soul as being alive, part of uh, even the life force of a body, even viewed the physical body as part of being the soul. Finally, we must love with all our might, mind. The word here is used often, translated as very much, For instance, when God saw that it was good in Genesis chapter 1, the creation was good. When we use this word as a noun, the word implies might, strength, force, zeal, fervor. Together, these categories, these three categories, what are we talking about? The heart, the soul, and might. Compass the entirety of ourselves. That's who we are. Those three make us up. So how do we obey the command? Here's a thought. Let's say you had a piece of paper in front of you this morning, okay? So in your mind's eye, follow along with me. Take that piece of paper and take out that number two pencil, okay? And draw three columns on it. And at the top of one put heart, top of another put soul, and another put might. And then what you want to do is you want to go through the, your day. And at the end of the day, you want to assess to that each category, okay, what percent value? What percent value? Did I love God with all my heart? With all my soul? With all my might? You know, it can be very discouraging. You might be able to do it 100% for a day. But you've still failed. Why? Because of yesterday. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Love is the prime motivating factor behind our actions. We spend time with our wives, loved ones, because we love them, right? We watch television, a particular program. Oh, I love this show. I'm going to watch this show. I love that show. Even actions we dislike, like a job that you work, not because you love it, but because of what it provides for you. Because love is a motivation and while it's easy enough to do loving things, it's nearly impossible to force ourselves to love something or someone. I've mentioned this before. I had a child of God, a brother in Christ, that he and I butted heads. I had problems with him. Why? What was my problem? I didn't love Him. It was plain and simple. I didn't love Him. Not until I began to pray for Him. You have a problem with somebody in your life? Begin to pray for them earnestly. God does a work in your life. He'll cause you to love. Can I force myself to love something that I'm truly apathetic toward? Mm. Without the intervention of God, I submit that we're not able to. God teaches us how to love, truly love. And He wants our love. This command, therefore, is not so much about what you do as about what to be. In order to properly obey this command, your love of God must become your identity. It is who you are. It is who you are. You love God with your whole person. That means every thought, every emotion, every desire, every intent, every word, every action, every breath and heartbeat come from your love for God. Boy, that's something that we should aspire to. After all, that's what the word all means, right? And you, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Not just halfway. This goes far beyond the love for a a husband has for a wife or a wife has for a, a husband. Not that it shouldn't be this way, but so much of the time we love conditionally. God loved me unconditionally, and he wants our love in return. It's a difficult command to follow, and yet we are given that command to do. But we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. No effort will ever be enough because in and of myself, ourselves, we're not enough. We each stand before God disobedient to his commands. And we are, in deserve, we are deserving His judgment. And yet while our love, while my love is insufficient to God, His love toward us is more than sufficient. Amen. The glorious news of His gospel is that God extended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He lived a life, total love for God, never failing to glorify the Father in all things. For those who are united in Christ, we are now presented before God. Get this? Not guilty. Not guilty. Because of His love. Let's move on. Verses 6 through 9. In verse 4, He gives us the key doctrine. In verse 5, we have the command. Then in verses 6 through 9, we have the backbone of the reminder. And remember folks, I'm talking, the, the message today is uh, fathers, it's our responsibility. My mothers, it's your responsibility to love the Lord your God. Young people, it's your responsibility to love the Lord. It says in verse 6, it says that these words which I command thee of this day shall be in thine heart. What words is Moses referring to? He's referring to back to verse 5 and the rest of the Scripture. Keeping God's commandment on your heart is the same practice as meditating on God's law, which Psalms is filled with encouraging us to do. Because God has revealed through his word, we must treasure the word in order to properly love him. There's some things that will happen if you're loving God. If you're truly loving God. There's an emphasis here on children, because that's where training and discipleship begins. You don't wait till your child is 18 years old to begin to tell them about God. What do you do? You watch the mothers as they pick that baby up, and they may be singing, Jesus loves you, loves me, this I know, or some other song. You're beginning to fill their ears with words of Jesus. You start when they're in the cradle. You start when they're in that stroller. You start when they're in that car seat. Before they're old enough to to read, they should have already heard many things about God. Many things about God. Children are like a sponge. You realize that? They'll soak up much what they hear from others. They listen when you don't even realize they're listening. I have to tell this story. and Ricky, is, it's about Henry. <laughs> He's such a good guy. He was, Alice was talking to him. This is a few months ago. And uh, something was said like, I'll see you later. And Henry goes, gets that from his dad, I think. <laughs> you know? Children just soak up. They want to be like you. Your boys want to be like you dad. Your girls want to marry somebody like your dad. But we should be teaching our children all along the way. All along the way. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6 tells us, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The wives can and should be of great help. But ultimately, men, we are the ones who set the tones. And by the way, you will give an account. I was at a, Brother Dana and I were at a, we were at a preacher's uh, luncheon a while back. And one of the preachers told a story. Told a story about how that, in these verses right here, and uh, how that there was a lady and her children started coming to church. And she went to the pastor. She said, I enjoy coming to church here, but I want you to promise me that you'll never come to my house or call me. He said, you you got it. It's the deal. I'll not do it. She went on to explain that my husband is a devout Jew. And he just does not believe that the Messiah has come, and this would just cause problems. But she said, I want to take these lessons, and I want to teach them to my children. And so... She began to do that. She decided she would do it on a Monday night because Monday night was uh, football night and her husband liked to watch football. So when he went in to watch football she would go into the children and she would go through these lessons. Well the football season came and went ended. Super Bowl had been played and one night he happens by and he stops and he listens to what's going on. And he went to his wife knowing scripture. Not say, but knowing scripture said that's my job that's my job not say but he understood God's word well enough to know that was my job make a long story short this man began to teach his children then began to come to church and then one day the preacher uh, and uh... had him stay over as uh, they had been visiting with him in the office And uh, said, I would like to talk to so-and-so for a few minutes. And everybody left. It was just a preacher and this man. And he gave him the plan of salvation. He said, I'm not asking you for a decision now. He said, I just want you to promise me this. That if you ever decide to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you'll call my number. And here's my phone number. Several months later, he got a phone call. He said, I thought it had to do with something else. And he said, well, consider this your phone call and he received Christ as his Savior. God's Word ought to impact our lives. God's Word ought to impact our lives. Verses 7 through 9 describes how to do this. Moses gave the command of discipling our children in the Word of God. And notice how Moses describes the manner in which such teaching ought to be done. What's it say? And thou shalt teach them diligently diligently, just as the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so Moses commanded the children of Israel to diligently teach their children God's commandments. This is something you do on purpose. Discipleship has always been God's idea of expanding His kingdom in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, while we are to practice discipleship in our churches, we must never forget, parents, fathers, we must never forget that our children are our primary disciples. Our primary disciples. They must not be recipients of second-hand efforts. They must be our first and most important ministry, second only to our spouse. While the community of the church reinforces the precepts and the principles in child rearing, the God-given responsibility is upon the parents' shoulders to do this and no one else. And we wonder why. But God, I was in your church every Sunday. God, I was even there on Sunday night. Uh, through the week, if you had a service, I was there. And I tithed. And God, why did my child at the age of 18 leave my home and never darken the doorway? Because you shirked your responsibility. You shirked the responsibility of teaching them on purpose, diligently. Sounds intimidating. Moses continues in verse 7 how this is to be done by stating two pairs of opposite. Look where he says, He says, Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, what does that bring to mind? It's happening all the time. It's happening all the time. I've used my father-in-law as an example. I'm trying to be more like him in this regard, is that if you see him spending time with somebody for more than five minutes, two minutes probably, and you know he doesn't know him, but he's continuing to talk to him, you know he's talking about the Lord. He's talking about the Lord. What has he learned to do? He has learned how to bring everything around, everything around about God. As you are raising your children, bring everything around to teach them about God. Oh, we're fast and quick to teach them about how to play sports or how to teach them to fish or hunt or this, that, or the other thing. You fill in the blank. Somehow, God misses out. God said, Here, are you listening? Are you listening? Life should be filled with discussion of the scriptures. There's a tremendous benefit that can be found in having a daily time of family prayer and and Bible reading, but that's not enough. I got to do more? Well, of course. Of course you do. The goal is not simply to read the Bible at least one day. The goal is to saturate their life with it. Saturate your life with it. Herein lies a problem of saturating their life with Scripture. That means that you need to be biblically literate. You need to know what it says. You've got to have taken time to read it many Christians spend their entire life coming to church and yet when they go home they got a Bible maybe on their nightstand maybe they got Bible in the den and they're accessible they've got it on their phone but they never open it. How can you teach something you don't know? That's why Moses tells the Israelites to bind these words with their hands to their hands place them on their forehead. You've seen pictures of the Jews and they'll have that little box. And they'll put the scripture in there. The idea is this, you do whatever is necessary. Whatever is necessary to reinforce what you're supposed to be doing. I remember when we were growing up with our door jam. We lived in our house for several years. I could walk by it and I go, oh, at six I was this high. At eight I was this tall. At 10 I was this tall. It was just a reminder. Whatever you need to do to remind yourself that I must be taking advantage of every opportunity to teach my child of God, I need to be doing it. I need to be doing it. By the way, a life that is Bible saturated is easy to recognize. If your life is saturated with the Word of God, it'll be easily recognized in your life. And by the way, the opposite is true. If not, you won't see it. You don't see it. How do you do this? How do you do this? I know I'm going a little longer than normal. Important. As every message is important. Suggestions. Get in the Bible. Read a story. Read a story. Become more familiar with the Bible. Read the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes you get in there and you go, oh boy, what's that saying? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you want to take... Sometimes you get real busy and you go, I need to read. Hey, you know what you can do? These, uh, these phones we have now, you can pull up and they'll say, hey Siri, Play for me Exodus chapter 6, audio, and they'll do it, and you can listen to it. You need to fill your heart and mind with it. Take what you've read and pray it back to God. Pray it back to God. If you feel that reading the Bible is boring, it's because we fail to properly interact with Scriptures. Praying God's Word back to Him is the easiest and probably the best way Of developing such an interaction. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. That means you have to stop and think. Think about it on purpose. I know that when I was in school all that thinking would hurt my head. Hurt my head. Not really. But sometimes we act like it's gonna kill us. (laughs) You need to meditate on God's Word. There are other things that we can use. You can, And you have to be careful here of accessing commentaries because you, you need to find somebody that's doctrinally correct or somebody that's preaching. You know, not everybody that preaches on the internet is doctrinally sound. Be careful. Be careful. Weigh what they have to say. <clears throat> I'm editing here, folks. So we need to teach our children doctrine. Precept. Principle. This is what God says. This is what God says. And then we need to teach them their duty. Their duty. How they must live. How they must live. Joshua 1.8 says this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Do we do that? that thou mayest observe to do the according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou shalt have good success. We go about through this life trying to make it all happen on our own, and we leave God to the side. You, when do we bring God in? Oh, when there's a crisis that we know and realize and understand that we can't handle. Folks, I've got to tell you something. <clears throat> Outside the blessing of God, there's nothing you can handle. He does it. He does it. He's blessed this nation. And because we had such blessing in this nation, guess what? We've forgotten God. We've forgotten God. You see, theology is not abstract. It must become a reality. It must become a reality. For example, if God is one, this means that we must put Him first and not allow other gods, or any other thing to steal our affection. If God is in control, and we say He's in control, then you must learn to trust Him. If God is just, then we must let Him give judgment rather than us. If God is wise, then we should humble ourselves and look back to His Word for guidance. If God is everywhere present, then we can learn to pray with pray to him at any time. <clears throat> Sorry, I touched my screen. <laughs> it jumped on me. Doctrine is practical. It teaches you, it teaches me how to live. And we are to teach our children these things. Well, my children have grown. You got grandchildren. Yeah. You got great-grandchildren? Yeah. It just doesn't stop, folks. The older I get, the more I should become in tune with God. Some people, though, look at the other side of it and go, I failed, I failed, I failed. Don't stop there. Don't live there. God's got victory. The righteous man falls several times, but gets up. Paul said, I die daily. And he goes on. We've been told what to teach, who to teach, and how to teach it. We need to do it. We need to do it. In the home, if you have small children, it's the ideal place for an environment of discipleship. Where else do you have a captive audience for 18 years? Amen. You're in my house. This is the way we're going to do things. You teach them. You care for them. You worship together. You discuss the Bible together. But men, and I, I'm just kind of making a blanket statement here and probably basing it upon a lot of myself. I know I miss so many opportunities with my own children to say, by the way, what we're talking about here, let me tell you what God says. Let me encourage you that we can get through this situation because of what God says. You know, in our home, we have the opportunity to talk about every topic imaginable. What happens today, though, years ago, somehow, we've allowed the government to come in and take control of our children with schools. We've allowed the government to say, this is what we're going to teach. You're their teacher. You're the teacher. You were given the directive by God. He said, here, listen, mm-hmm. this is what you're supposed to do. Teach your children. We need to seize the opportunity around us. Teachable moments. Alice and I were talking about the other day, a situation happens, and sometimes situations happen, and, and uh, people get at odds, or this or that, or the other thing. And, but you know what? It's a teachable moment for that individual. That individual may be upset with somebody else. He may be upset with God, but God's trying to teach them. But as we are raising our children in our homes, we have teachable moments. It could be at the dinner table. Dinner table's a great place to sit down and have a teachable moment. You know what's happened, though? Problem. We have these little phones. And we go out to dinner, or we have it sitting there, and everybody's looking at their phone. Nobody's interacting. Nobody's talking. What has happened? Satan, I believe, is using every means possible to try to divide us from what we're supposed to be doing as a parent. Fathers, you take every opportunity you can to teach your children. Mothers, you do the same thing. Do the same thing. Take a look around. Find someone that can help mentor you. That means somebody that you look to and you go, I'm watching this husband and wife over there, and I'm watching how their children act, and I'm going, they've got something going right. Something going right. We need to get together with one another. When I played baseball, I played baseball. If somebody could do something I didn't or couldn't do, I went over, how are you doing that? How can I learn to do that? Let me try to wrap this up make a statement here to have met with the living God and we are doing that this morning to have met with the living God is to change if you come in contact with God through his word the preaching of his word something happens changes us there's obedience Why? His word says something and I go, oh, I've been doing that wrong all this time. So what do you do? I bow to the book. I fashion myself after God. Parents who refuse to obey God, you know what you're teaching your children? Disobedience. I don't know why my children are just so disobedient. Well, maybe it's because you've been disobedient to God. Why should we expect something out of our children that we don't know how to do? Children who live with critical parents, guess what? They grow up to be critical people. Children whose parents scream and argue, guess what? They learn to do the same thing. You see, you're teaching your children whether you want to admit it or not as you go through life. Children whose parents are not involved in ministry are not concerned about others likewise will be indifferent to those around them. Listen to this. I'm almost done. Woodrow Wilson at one time was president not just president of the country but president of Princeton University and he spoke these words to a parents group. This is what he said. He said, I get many letters from you parents about your children. You want to know why people up here in Princeton can't make more out of them and do more for them. Let me tell you the reason we can't. It may shock you a little, but I'm not trying to be rude. The reason is that they are your sons, reared in your homes, blood of your blood, bone of your bone." They have absorbed the ideals of your home. You have formed and fashioned them. They are your sons. In those malleable, multiple years of their lives, you have forever, forever left your imprint upon them. My question to you, fathers and mothers this morning, what imprint... Are you leaving upon your child's life today? If God were to take you out of that home at this very moment, what imprint of you would be left upon their lives? Will it be one that's pleasing to God? Or will it be an opportunity that you've wasted? And by it, their life is wasted. It's your responsibility. What did Moses say through the direction of God? He said, here. Are we listening? Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. No one looking around. Just a moment of silence as Alice comes to the piano. She'll play something. I just want to encourage you. Perhaps you are a father and you're going, man, I have really dropped the ball. I mean, there's so much more I can do. Well, I'll tell you what, we've got an altar up here. It's a good place to come up here and, and get it right with God and say, God, through your help, I'm going to teach my children. I'm going to teach my children. Perhaps you're you're here this morning and you're going, I don't know this God. I don't know what it is you're talking about. I need to let you know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the beloved Son of God, was born of a virgin, became man, human. He was all man, all God. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross of Calvary and paid the penalty of your sin because you cannot pay for the penalty of your sin. He did it for you. And He would save you this morning if you'd allow Him to. Perhaps you're here this morning, you're looking for a church home. Come talk to me. We'll discuss, is this where God wants you to be? Whatever your need this morning, folks, I pray that you understand that we've met here with God today. And that He intends to do something personally in your life. Like we're talking on Sunday nights about experiencing God. God wants so desperately to have you watch Him work in your life. Will you yield yourself to Him? Maybe you're here this morning and you're living in sin. And you know it. You know what? You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can leave here this morning with a bounce in your step, a new giddy up in your step, because things are right with God. Whatever your need is, as I pray, I'd ask you to consider coming. Father, have your will and way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.